Hello, this is Aaron Bounds, pastor of the Anchor Church located in Zanesville, Ohio. I want to say thanks for tuning in today. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you to live the life God called you to live. Amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. We uh, thank you, praise team. Let's turn our Bibles to the book of John, chapter 4. John chapter 4, so glad for each and every one of you here this evening. We want to dive into the word of the Lord. I know there's different classes going on tonight, but so glad for all of you that are here. Um, One thing I've learned about the Lord is that He is personable. Personable. He knows us individually, just not collaboratively. Whether there's two or three. That he comes to where we are and he knows exactly where you are. Do you believe that? Never insult God by stating this statement. I don't even think God knows where I'm at. That's an, that's an insult to his omniscience, all-knowing part of him. He knows all things. And he does all things well. You all believe that? And, uh, and to say those type of statements is to say that he doesn't care for you. John 3.16 would say, what? For God so loved the world. He loves us right where we are in all of our mess, all of our moments. Look at your neighbor and say, you know you have moments. Unlovable moments. Look at your neighbor and say, despicable moments. Any, anybody in the building ever felt that way about yourself? He loved you anyhow. And uh, with that being said, John 4, it says, And he must needs go through Samaria. He must needs go through Samaria. Why? It says, Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, he sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her. He has a conversation with a woman that has been shamed by sin. You'll find out that she's had um, five husbands, and the one she now has doesn't belong to her. And in this situation, Jesus has a personal conversation with her because he looks beyond our faults and he sees our needs. He must needs go through Samaria. I'd like to talk to you and teach you tonight on a subject on simply spiritual conversations. Spiritual conversations. Everybody say spiritual conversations. Would you clap your hands and just praise him tonight for his goodness? Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. God bless you. You may be seated. I'm, I'm going to get back to this narrative here in, the, in a few moments. But the Bible teaches us in the book of Acts a story about a man by the name of Philip. Philip was, personally in my study, do not see that this is Philip the apostle, uh, but this is Philip, a believer who fled out of Jerusalem because of the persecution of the church. The persecution of the church. 
Scripture tells us at the beginning of Acts chapter 8 that Paul wreaked havoc. Havoc on the church. Can you imagine that? Um, let's, let's read Acts 1, and we're, we're going to get back. We will end tonight on John 4. I'm going to be teaching you, walking, walking you through this subject tonight on spiritual conversations. Um, look what it says in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. It says, And Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except who? The apostles. Are you all with me tonight? Still waiting on dinner to settle? Worked hard today? You're here, and I'm thankful for that. Whether you're tired or not, I'm glad you're here. Amen. But I, I want to say to you that it took persecution to get them out of Jerusalem. They were so Jerusalem-centered that the prophecies of what would happen here, Jesus said it would happen here, that when it happened here, they thought it could only happen here. It can only happen here with these people in this place. This is Zion. This is, this, is, this is the place where this is still today where people look. And there's no doubt that it's a significant city. But it was never supposed to just, uh, it was never supposed to stay there. Jesus taught them it would begin there. Everybody say, it begins there. Every great thing that God has ever done has always had a beginning. It starts out in Genesis 1 when it says, In the beginning, God. There is always a beginning. There is always a starting. When you reference the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 where the church began, you'll find in Acts chapter 11 that the apostle Peter is explaining to his brethren about Gentiles have now received this, that he said to them, he said, it was amazing. Let me put it in my own words. It was amazing what happened here. And he said at Cornelius' house, he said the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. He was marveled that a non-Jew outside of Jerusalem could receive the Holy Ghost. Marveled that a heathen. I read it in my devotion this morning. It says in the book of Romans, it says that, that, that he would become a Lord to the Gentiles and they would begin to sing praises unto him. I went back and read it in Psalms and it says he would be a Lord unto the heathens. Look at your neighbor and say, now we know he's talking about you. He called the Gentile people heathen people. And in my devotion, I just thought I'd throw that in there in the Bible class tonight. But, but he, he, he said the heathens. It was talking about non-Jews, people that worshiped other things. And I thought to myself this morning, you know what? I am one of those Gentiles that he's my Lord and I do sing praises to his name. I'm glad he grafted me in. I'm glad he let me in the church. How many glad that he saved you and how he is your Lord. Amen. And so when you begin to look at this, he is, he is in Acts 8. And, and um, in, in Acts 8, something is happening. He's trying to get them out of Jerusalem. And it took persecution to get it out. There was a prejudice that was in even the apostles that only the Jews could be saved. It was so ingrained in him. Uh, it's hesitant to even say it, but it appears in Scripture. It's hesitant to say it that even three and a half years with Christ, 
It was still hard to get the prejudice out of their spirit that Gentiles could be saved. Isn't that interesting? 25 years it took really for the Jews. For the church to begin to accept Gentiles. And it was at Antioch. And that was the first place they called them Christians. Because true Christians believe everybody can be saved. Do you believe that? I'm so glad he saved me. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, he made a way for you. It's to the Jew what? First and then also to the Greek. It is the power of God unto salvation. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believe it, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, we understand that there is power in the gospel. But when you look at Acts chapter 8, verse 1 still, and it says the church which was persecuted against the church that was at Jerusalem, the church was not confined to Jerusalem. They thought it was, as I've re already reiterated. But, and they were all what? Scattered abroad through where? The regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. What was the commandment of Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 1 verse 8? What did he say would happen when the Holy Ghost would fall? What was his intent and his vision? Would you throw that up there, Acts chapter 1 verse 8? Look what it says. We're in 8 and 1, but let's try 1 and 8. Let's reverse it. That's the fulfillment of Acts 1 and 8. Look at it. It says, but ye shall receive power. We have received an experience with God that you said it was so powerful. How do you feel? Oh, it's so powerful. I can feel the power of God, the touch of God. Isn't it a wonderful thing to feel the power of God? Ye shall receive power. When? After that, the Holy Ghost comes upon you. It doesn't stop there. This isn't a moment for me just to feel better. He says, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and. This is here and somewhere else. Is that what he said? And in all Judea and in and then unto the uttermost parts of the earth. That was God's plan. That Jerusalem would be a place where he would pour out of his spirit and then it would be a beginning that would be something that would go all the way around the world. They had a one-day impact with Jews only in Jerusalem. They went from house to house with people that were in their circle, in their life, in their community, and they changed Jerusalem. How many know they impacted Jerusalem? There was 80,000 believers, one study said, in Jerusalem. That's a lot of believers in one city. But they had a mindset, it's going to stay right here with people just like me. It's easy to talk to people that you are familiar with. It's easy for me to talk to my wife. It's easy for me to talk to my children. It's easy to talk to people in this room. It's easy because we get to know each other. But how many has ever felt impressed of God to go talk to somebody you do not know? How many has ever felt that? If I asked one of you random people in the building to come up here and preach... Would you be nervous? How many remember that have, have preached, you were asked to speak or teach, and you, you, you had this, and they told you, you you need to be ready. And how many remember the first time you had to get behind the pulpit and speak to all the people? How many remember that moment? Were you nervous? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness, nervous. Uh, it, it, it'll move you. There's the same nervousness that when God talks to you to talk to somebody one-on-one. -on -one. 
And we, we somehow have, have defined a word that we use every service in every Christian circle, and that's the word preach. He's a preacher. What does that mean? He's got a suit and tie on. He's at the pulpit. He's our preacher. It's as if there's one preacher in the church. When the Bible says, what does it say here? It says, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Who was that? It wasn't the apostles. It was believers. It defines it. And it says, and devout men carried Stephen to his burial, made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made what? Havoc of the church, persecuted, imprisoned, killed people that were Christians, entering into every house and, and hell, men and women committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad, what did they do? They went everywhere preaching the word. What does that look like? Where do they preach? Oh, they got to this community. They got a bunch of stones stacked together. They built a little building, had a little this, put a little steeple on it. Because you can't have church without a steeple and walls. You can't preach unless you're inside of a building. Is that what they did? Oh, we can't preach because we got to have a building first. We, we got to have a pulpit. It's got to be a little bit higher than the people because the preacher's a little bit higher than the people. And we've driven it to a position instead of a calling. And only some are preachers. I'm not trying to work myself out of a job here. I get up here and there's 45 people standing up here on Sunday saying, I've got the word. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not talking about talking to saved people. I am your shepherd. I am your pastor. I understand my role and the calling of that in the fivefold ministry. But what I'm also saying is, how did they get the gospel out of Jerusalem if the apostles were not the ones that left? How did they do it? What did they do? He taught them. He took them. He took those that were with him. Not only the 12, but he took 70 followers. And what did they do? They went house to house having spiritual conversations. They had somebody with an accordion because you can't preach without music. Somebody had a harp carrying it. They had a, whole, they had a, they had a donkey and a mule. And they were carrying the band with them because you can't have church service without music. We, we misinterpret. One preacher canceled his preaching events because his organ player couldn't go with him. What in the world? As if the gospel is defined by a church setting and we limit preaching to a Sunday and a midweek. I know I've said it before. I've even been criticized over it. But Paul would roll over in his grave and he thought the gospel was only preached on a Sunday and a Wednesday to people that have heard it a thousand times. Calvary is so powerful and it's so wonderful. Amen. That everybody needs to know that. When we get in agreement here for a minute, that everybody in the world needs to hear the message of Jesus Christ and what he did for us at Calvary. Would anybody agree with me on that? How many want the world to know? I'm, I'm really sincere in this. How many want the entire world to know what Jesus has done? Woo! Praise the name of the Lord. We have sent missionaries to Guatemala. Just for a moment, I'll throw this in there. We've sent missionaries because this church believes it. You give. You give to missions because you believe that the gospel should be spread. You don't, you don't give grudgingly. I don't ever have to worry about your faith promise coming in. You're so consistent. You've proven it over the years. Why? Because you don't want the gospel to stay in Zanesville. Many of you have helped in Daughter Works and let your kids go. And whether they signed or 
part of music or helped in some way with children's men or whatever it is in many campuses around because we don't want to keep the gospel in Zanesville. You've given your time, your talent, even your treasure to see that I understand that. We go to Guatemala and there are people in Guatemala that we have reached that never even heard the name Jesus. They come from idolatrous religions. Had never heard the name Jesus mentioned until somebody walked into their life and said, could I tell you about somebody that's named Jesus? Amen. And they hear Jesus and the hope that comes with the message of Jesus Christ. It's not a message of judgment. It's a message of hope and change and faith and purity. Aren't you glad you heard it one day and it got down in your heart? It got down in your soul. Oh, somebody help me shout amen. And so who was it that left Jerusalem? It was believers. And it says, what did they do? They went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and he preached Christ unto them. What does that look like? He is having conversations individually with people. I don't believe he just stood on the street corner. I don't believe that. I believe that he went and started having conversations with individuals. Jesus taught them by example. And one of those examples was in John chapter 4. He must needs go through where? Through Samaria, praise God, look at the first place they go. When then chapter 5, what does it say? Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria. What did he do? He preached Christ unto them. How did Jesus preach the gospel of Christ, the gospel of the kingdom to the woman at the well? What did he do? He had a one-on-one conversation. He didn't have a pulpit in a synagogue. He had a one-on-one conversation. And I'm going to tell you, if we are the body, we've got to learn to have one-on-one conversations with people that need Jesus. Hallelujah. We've got to learn to have conversations with people. He looked at the woman at the well, and I I told you I'd get back to it. But He looked at the woman at the well, and here she is. It's midday. They're out. The sun is out. It's it's the Middle East. It's, It's in Samaria over there. It's probably hot from study. They say that she... Most people didn't draw their water in the middle of the day because it's hot. They would go early morning and in the evening and gather their water. They didn't have water systems like we do today. And she's gathering there because she's not welcome at the, at the early morning or the evening hour. Why? Because she's a woman that has immoral character. And she's been shunned by her own people. It's amazing in Scripture when you look what Jesus does when somebody's been pushed aside. He always seems to show up to the ones that's been pushed aside. Praise God. Amen. And he goes and has a conversation with her. And the conversation, he looks at her. He said, would you give me to drink? Why did he ask that? Because she had a pitcher. She had something to draw water with. She defines it in John 4. Later when he offers her the will of women, she said, how are you being a stranger at drinking me, which I'm a woman of Samaria? which have no dealings with the Samaritan. You don't have a picture. You don't have anything to draw with. Why are you talking? What, 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 what's going on here? You're offering me a well. You don't even have the, he was He was sparking conversation. Was he thirsty? Probably. He was weary with his journey and sat on the well. Let, let's just go verse by verse. And let's, let's, let's take the dialogue from this. Let's break it down and watch the character of Jesus in this moment until he opens up the door to the kingdom. So let's go back to John chapter 4. And uh, let's look at this tonight. How many want to be more like Jesus? 
I think all of us want to be more like him. How do we engage in a spiritual conversation? And uh, I've done it wrong and I've done it right, but I want to do it the way he did. Let's just go verse by verse here tonight and walk through this narrative of the story. And it says, and, and um, verse 7, it says, There cometh a woman of Samaria to what? She's there for the same reason he is, it appears, and thirsty and getting some water to carry back to her house, I'm sure. Jesus does what? Saith unto her, Quit waiting on people to start the conversation with you. That's where we miss it. Is we don't initiate the conversation. You've got to learn to start the conversation. If you're shy by nature, I was. You said, I can't believe you were, but I was. I had to work out of that. You come across confident and bold and whatever you would say is me, hear me preach every Sunday. And I, I, those are things that I've, I've heard. It, it, didn't come, it didn't come natural. But I realize I have something that they need. And it's not personality or charisma. What is it? He's Jesus on the inside. He's working on the outside. I've got the Holy Ghost down in my soul, just like the Bible says. I've got oil and wine. I've got the Spirit of God inside of me. I've got all the fruit of the Spirit manifested in His Spirit in my life. Joy and peace. Are y'all hearing me tonight? Long-suffering and patience and gentleness and kindness and faith and temperance. I've got those things inside of me. And when you begin to have conversation, things begin to open. And he looks at her and he initiates the conversation. It was a simple statement. He just said, give me a drink. For his disciples were gone away from under the city to buy meat. And it says, then saith the woman of Samaria to him, How is it thou, being a Jew, ask a drink of me, which am but a woman of Samaria? For the I know you people. I know you, you Jews. What's what she said? She said, the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Hold on. She might have been saying it like this. You're the first Jew that's ever had a conversation with me. I know. We are shunned. We're looked at as a less than. I think it's not good if the, the world culture would think that a Christian culture thinks they're better than them. You being holier than somebody in your conversation... It, it, it isn't, isn't better than that. Jesus sat on the well that she was coming to. And what I'm saying to you is that in conversation, he, he, he is breaking down a barrier just by having a normal conversation with her. He starts out with something temporal, just give me the drink. She, she answered, and um, Jews have no deal with Samaritans. Jesus, said, Jesus answered and said to her, If thou knewest the gift of God... And who it is that said to thee, give me the drink, thou would have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. She starts questioning who he is, and, and he said, if you only knew who you were talking to. Of course, Jesus is this. I can't look at somebody that's told me and say, do you know who you're talking to? No, but you sound like you're not from Zanesville. And, uh, but Jesus is, is, is in, in the narrative of this, is explaining that we have something if they only knew who they're talking to. They see you as who? Just a neighbor, a co-worker. But how many know if they really only knew who they were talking to? I'm not talking about Aaron. I'm talking about who's on the inside of me now. We either believe this or we do not. We are the body of Christ. 
And there's more to receive the Holy Ghost and having supernatural experience and speaking another language and praying a powerful prayer. This is more than that. It's to be a witness unto Him outside of your beginning, starting experience. Where? Anywhere. Start in Jerusalem. Then go to Judea, all Judea, and Samaria. Take it everywhere you go because witnessing is not something I do. It's a product of who I am. And in my faith, I begin to realize I'm not just Aaron Bounds. I am the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ. We can't lock God in a, in a relationship that's confined to a Sunday at 11 o'clock. Oh, I'm getting stirred up on a Wednesday. I mean, no, if you only knew who's talking to you right now. If you only knew who was this close. We, the, the young man made the statement. He was a young, young boy raised in church and all of his life they've told him Jesus lives in your heart. How many told our kids? My, my kids can't even pronounce it right. I say, where's Jesus? They say, in my heart. That's what my kids remember. that They say, in my heart. They couldn't say heart. They, Jesus lives in my heart. This young little boy couldn't say it right, was young, and he'd had heart procedure. When he came out, the first question he asked the doctor, he said, did you see Jesus in there? Mama had told him, Grandma had told him, the Sunday school teacher told him, the pastor told him, Jesus was in your heart. And when he had certain days, that's the first thing he would know was, did you see him in there? I say that to say this, do we believe Jesus is inside of us? The Bible says he's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Praise God. If Jesus is in me, then, and let's say that you're, you're, you're not saved. That means they're only three feet from Jesus. That's what it says. Where is the kingdom of God? Oh, it's 1365 Chamberlain Street. There's a steeple in the building. That's not the kingdom of God. That's a beginning point for somebody. That's the church where we gather and we get focus back in because life and work and people and things, family, whatever can, can let us begin to focus, get our focus off of what God wants, but when we get back, we get refocused is what I'm doing tonight I'm teaching from the word of the Lord, there's so much scripture about joining together and coming together and do more often, I'm not removing the power of a collaborative worship and the spiritual community but we can never forget that if he's on the inside of me, that means he's only three feet from you there's a sign that I, I gave away. I bought it one time and ended up giving it as a gift. But it said, it said, live your life in such a way that those do not know God but know you will come to know God because they know you. And I wonder if somebody would meet you, would they want to know your God? I want to live my life with such fruit that when they walk away, they say, I want what he has. What is that about you? I don't feel, I'm getting back with my message I preached last week. But I want there to be peace in my atmosphere. Not because I'm good, but because the goodness of God resident in my spirit. I want there to be peace and joy. Amen. How many believe this? And so, if thou knewest the gift of God. Look at your neighbor and say, if you only knew who you're sitting beside. I don't know why, but it sort of did feel good to say that, didn't it? How many believe when you go to the job, you carry him in there with you? How many believe that? When you get around your family, you carry him, you carry him in there with you. 
Praise the name of the Lord. When we get to church, we carry him in here with us. He's not just locked in some church building because it's called a church. Oh, no. He lives in the heart of his believers. It is the spirit of Christ which is in us. I want him in me. Somebody shout amen. Praise God. So you, you see Acts 8, a conversation. I am, I'm going to get back there, but we're going to go. I mean, in John 4. Let's go back to Acts 8. Praise God. Spiritual conversations. Everybody say spiritual conversations. Let's go to verse 5. Verse 4, they, they went everywhere preaching the word. And so what was the conversation look like? I personally believe the conversation was one-on-one. I believe that we see uh, in Acts 1 and 8, a parallel of Acts 8 and 1, a significance here. And we go to Samaria. What did he do in Samaria? What did he do? Hit a one-on-one conversation with somebody. And when he goes here, this is a city that is bound by sorcery and witchcraft. I'm not going to that city. They got witches there. There's probably witches in Zanesville. Not going there. I don't want to go where those witches are. Greater is he. I had a guy right here one time. He was trying to cast a curse on me. Brother Gio, do you remember that? He came in here. He was, he had a, he was probably possessed of a devil or, or something. He was sitting here and had some upside down deal. And somebody told me he was like he's trying to curse me. I know he had to be so mad because I never even recognized him. Never even saw it. I don't have to worry about no devil. I got Jesus on the inside and he's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. I don't have to worry about the sin history of some city. Greater is he that's within me. It doesn't matter how much trouble or chaos is in a, has been in family backgrounds of chaos and confusion. Just one touch of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just one person that says, I begin to believe and respond to that. And a miracle can happen in that. Do you believe that? Praise God. And so they go to Samaria. When they get to Samaria... Philip went down to the city of Samaria and he preached Christ unto them and, and he told about, and, and the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. What does that mean? It explains it. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them. Many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city there's a lot of sickness there was a lot of spiritual bondage but when they went there and started talking about Christ having conversations with people something happened miracles began to come you see when you start talking about him and living the life you already know he's real in you you already know he's not confined to Jerusalem let me call the church Jerusalem it began here it began in a church building. It's not to be kept in a church building. Do you believe this? And the conversations began to happen. And as they began to talk about Christ. There was things that began to surface in their life. Because Christ will always go beyond the physical condition of a person. It won't be long when you're talking about Jesus and talking about things and having conversations with people. It won't be long that people will start opening up their life. They'll begin to open up. I've got this in my life. Do you think God can do this? And uh, when Brother Noe went to Guatemala, 
that great revival that happened in Guatemala didn't happen with preaching from a pulpit. Did you know that? Brother Melik, am I telling the truth? How did it happen, Brother Melik? It happened by going to a family member's home and he began to tell them what Jesus had done for him. Am I right? I mean, they slept in huts and slept outside and was, they were in villages. And uh, Brother Melik, it was amazing because when he was there and he would start talking about Jesus, Jesus always showed up. Jesus is in here. Somehow you got to get him out here. And it's amazing when you start talking about him. I was talking to a Buddhist one time, and he was from another country. I, when, I was in, when I was in college, I, I went to school. I'd pray in the morning before I'd go, and I'd say, God, connect me to people. Order my steps. Let, let me, I know church is bigger than a, I know the kingdom is bigger than the church building. And I'd go, and, and I'd, I'd hang out with people and make connections. Next thing you know, we'd be in a spiritual conversation in the hallway. And I just started talking to a friend. I mean, a guy I knew in class. I said, uh, so you're a Buddhist? And yes. I said, I said, I'm interested naturally. I said, have you ever seen a miracle? He said, no. Have you ever heard the voice of God? No. Can you name one thing that the God that you serve has ever done for you? No. But you worship this God. Yes. Well, why? Because my family does. I said, I've seen miracles. He said, really? I said, yeah. I said, I am one. Y'all know what I'm getting ready to say that I told him. <laughs> I can see it right now. I said, I was born crippled. You know what? In that moment, I haven't went to Acts 38, John 3.16, haven't pulled a verse out. We're just having a conversation about an experience I had in my life that I'm grateful for. My dad said, don't ever stop telling that. He would stand me up in church and say, tell him what God did for you. I'd be a nine-year-old boy and uh, tell it. And I, I began to tell that. I said, I was born crippled. I said, they prayed. When they said the name of Jesus, my crippled feet straightened up. When I said that, he said, whew, my goodness. You know, they start doing this number. You know what they're doing? They're responding to something they feel. What are they feeling? It's not inspiration. It's presence. It's something you can't get from the bar. You can't get from a crack house. You can't get from a raise. You can't get from an extra vacation. It's Jesus. Jesus is standing there with me. I, I just want to know tonight how many of you had ever had a healing or a miracle from Jesus. Would you raise your hand? Oh, I think you ought to stand and just thank him for it because that's powerful. Most people in this room, if not every person here, can say, Jesus has touched me. I know he has touched me. Praise the name of the Lord. He's touched me. Praise God. You may be seated in, in that conversation. Woo, what is that? And I would, I, I mean, I did a lot of things. Uh, but having, having those conversations with people and I was told when I was in college that the first person that, that from, a, from a, a, a foreign field that are from another country, they're in your college, the first person they meet will be the person they'll go to church with. Well, my lands. So I went down and I was told that. So I, I'd walk up and, and I'd see people from another country. And uh, in West Virginia, you know when they're from another country. Where I come from, we were one nation under God. Amen. There wasn't, there wasn't a lot of diversity of people from the town, little country town I lived in. That's just the truth. 
you, you didn't hear. I mean, there was uh, people didn't speak a different language. That's just everybody was uh, American. It wasn't like New York City or something, certainly. And uh, I'd walk up to them, and I'd say, hey, how, how are you? And I'd say, my, I'd say, what's your name? i never forget a guy. He said, my name's Wu. He's from China. And I said, Wu, it's so good to meet you. My name's Aaron. And how, how are things going? Are you enjoying, uh, are you enjoying the States? Are you enjoying being here? And uh, we struck up a friendship. And, uh, and I, I, you know, before it was over with, I called and invited him to church. Uh, he was an atheist. But he said, I'll go to church with you. And uh, uh, he came to church. And, you know, my mom, you love my mom. My mom went up to him. She said, she said, uh, she said we're so glad to have you here. Oh, and they just love to feel welcome. Same way if you went to, a, to a, an all-Asian church, and somebody come and make you feel welcome. How I many know it's possible to fill out a place somewhere where people aren't just like you? She said, well, we're so glad to have you. He said, what's your name? He said, woo. She said, woo-hoo. <laughs> and then it hit her, you know. She didn't know what she'd said. And uh, uh, I tried to teach him how to drive and start telling him about the Lord. And, and in those moments, start having kind of, and, and some of them begin to open up. Not everybody began to open up. One was the prime minister's son of the country of Nepal. He, uh, he, I'd go to his house and we'd talk. He didn't come to church. We just had conversations. We were friends. How you doing? He was treated terrible in the States. Where he stayed wasn't well. Landlord didn't care. He was a king's kid. He was a king's kid. Influence over millions of people. His name was Binod Chand. And his life was broken. Don't think that everybody has it all together. They don't need the Lord. They're looking. I'll never forget talking to him. And he, he ended up coming to church with me. Not because he wanted to go to church. Because he liked me. We were friends. We could talk about life. Uh, and uh, some of you need to learn to talk about more than sports. Probably ought to stay away from politics. It doesn't help conversations at all. I mean, that's true. But you learn life and uh, life. I mean, the, the, the man from China wanted me to name his baby, an American name. Friendship. Friendship. Jesus cares about people. I've seen people that love ministry but not men. They love crowds but not people. This is not what this is about. It's, it's about loving people where they are. And uh, I teach him to drive and he wrecked my parents' car. I said, hit the brake. He hit the gas. He did. Yeah. I was trying my best to make connections with people. And, and you're not going to win everybody. And it's not about winning. It's about relationship. Jesus is not a, a God that sits on the throne looking down. Oh, no. The Bible says he walked among the people. He was Emmanuel being interpreted. God with us. When I'd go to school, I'd go with God with me. He would go with me, and I talked to Manol, and he came to church. And when he came to church, it was with the people of God. It wasn't the stage that impressed him. It was that when a person laid their hands and began to pray. He said, when they prayed for me, he said, I felt something I've never felt before. I felt a warmness. I felt something so powerful. What was that? Because God impacts a world not from 30 feet. He impacts a world by touching one person individually. 
That's why we can never get away. I know COVID did all kinds of things. We talk about mandates and all those things. But there's also biblical mandates. It is being together. It's connecting with each other. Being together is so powerful. Look what it did in the, in the, in the I, don't, I don't know how to explain it, but people that have social issues and mental issues, what it did in isolation. It fueled so many things because there's power in being together with people. How many know that's true? And I'd, I'd wash my hands with, with some type of uh, uh, sanitation, whatever, and I'd go pray for somebody because there's something about touching somebody's life. It is here that transfers through you. It's the ministry of laying, the doctrine of laying on of the hands. I've been healed by somebody praying and saying in the name of Jesus. And I've seen people healed by laying hands. And when Philip went to Samaria, there were special miracles that were worked there. He, the Bible says the miracles, now watch this. I, I'm moved right now, can you tell? I can't help it, this is in my heart. It's not just in here, it's down on the inside of me. It's not right that people go into eternity and have never felt the loving touch of God. And a church right down the street that keeps it locked in on a Sunday and Wednesday. Somebody's got to learn that a neighbor, a friend, a co-worker, somebody needs you in their life because you have Jesus in your heart. You've got Jesus in your heart. Look what it says. And it says, And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles. What does it say? Which who did? Which who did? He did. It's referring to Philip. Oh, pastor, God did the miracle. I know that, but he did it through him. He allowed it to happen. We could be in a line of Walmart. I'm going to tell you a good place to have a spiritual conversation is in a long line at Christmas time because they can't go anywhere. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you what we do. We're an American, we're, we're cultured by American culture. When we get in a long line, you get on your phone, have no conversation with anybody. Go to restaurants, entire family sit together. I have seen them not have one conversation except order their food. Mom, dad, and two kids. People don't talk. People don't talk. We're going to learn to have conversations because maybe you're in that line because God has somebody in that line that he's put with you. Because our steps are ordered of the Lord. Oh, and somebody might have been praying, send me, to, send me to a preacher. God, would you help me? I'm about, to, I'm about to lose my mind. I'm about to die. I've got all these things going on. God, would you send somebody to help me? And you don't even know it, that you're the answer. And you turn around and start talking to them. How, hey, how are you? Boy, your, your buggy sure looks full of a bunch of goodies. Looks like you're going to have a good meal this weekend. They might think you're crazy. I don't know, but start a conversation. Sister Allison said it's good to start with a compliment. But we're afraid to start conversations because we're afraid we're going to be rejected. And you will be if you try. But you're not going to be rejected every time. If I was rejected a million, a million times and on a million and once somebody gave their life to the Lord and got eternal life, I'd say it would be worth, worth it for that person. I'd say it'd be worth it for that family. One family turned around, it'd be worth it. It'd be worth it. And you begin to have conversations. And I've watched people over the years, waiters and waitresses, people on airplanes, even hotels, that have given their life to the Lord. One of them is in seminary now because of a conversation I have. I've been on airplanes. Y'all heard my airplane stories. I've had many times on the airplane. A lady sat with me. It just, just uh, 
Oh, I'm so moved. I, I was, you ever been frustrated with inconveniences? Y'all not going to believe this, but preachers get frustrated. Because I'm as normal as you are. And I'm trying to get home. I'm, I'm trying to get back. I was committed to be at our structures, leaving a, uh, an event. We were in Florida, and uh, I think it was Bible quizzing. And I'm trying to get back to be at our leadership on Friday night, uh, for Saturday, trying to get back Friday night. And I told the lady, I said, looks like there's a delay. Am I going to make my connecting flight? She said, oh, yeah. Got another update on my phone. Going to be another delay. I, went, I said, am I going to make my connecting flight? She said, oh, yeah. Third one came. I said, my, she said, you're going to be fine. I said, good. I said, because I don't want to be stuck in Atlanta. I can go back and be with my family in Florida. Amen. In the wintertime. Can I get a witness right there? And uh, I get to Atlanta, and they send me, my phone sends me to a gate where there's no plane. And I get to the plane, and I know it's late. It's the last flight out, and I've missed it. I can't get to the other one. And I have to say, it was not righteous indignation. I was feeling the stir up in my spirit. It was absolute frustration. Are y'all with me? And I remember going to somebody. I said, what, I'm, what am I going to do? They said, we're going to try to help you, but there's no flight out of here. You have to stay. All the hotels were booked. I'm downtown Atlanta. Downtown Atlanta. All the hotels are booked. And I'm standing out beside a road cold with a backpack. And I'm frustrated because I don't have a toboggan on my head. It might not affect you, but it, it hurts me. And the wind's blowing. And I'm in a long line. And I called my wife. She said, doesn't it bother you when your wife's right? She started preaching to me. She said, well, you, you teach us. I was feeling everything but God at that moment. She said, you teach us that inconveniences typically with believers become opportunities. She said, it's, it's going to be okay. She said, calm down. I did not want to hear any level of truth except for somebody to be mad with me. How many of you ever want somebody just to be furious with you? Don't you, I don't want to say it this way, don't you hate it when some people are Christians and they, and they act like what they're supposed to be? <laughs> Y'all know I'm being real right now. I'm living with you right now. Yeah. Praise God. Well, Pastor, I've never had road rage. Mm -hmm. You better go pray. And uh, next morning, I barely got in two minutes. Barely got into a hotel. Next day, I get up, catch a flight, go sit on my plane, and I'm calm because she's right. I sat on my plane. I looked, and a lady came. There's a whole road behind me. It opened. This lady sits beside me. We start a conversation. How you do? Where you from? Airplane conversation, people, what do you do, where are you from? And she, she says, she says I'm, I'm actually going to see my fiancé. I said, really? Well, tell me about when you're going to get married. Oh, we're getting married in, in May. And, uh, well, tell me a little bit about, tell me a little about, about this, this great guy that you're going to marry. And uh, just warm conversation. And, and she said, you know, he's a youth pastor at such and such Catholic church. And, and, uh, and she was talking about this. And I said, that's awesome. I said, man, there's nobody like God. I mean, the touch of the Lord in our life. She said, I know it. I said, and somehow we got in this conversation, and I began to feel the Lord coming on that airplane. 
I told her, I said, you know, when you're baptized with the, with the Spirit of the Lord and you pray in a heavenly language, she said, you know, my fiancé does that. She said, when he prays, he'll start praying in a heavenly language. I said, that's amazing. I said, that's happened to me. Has it ever happened to you? She said, no. I said, well, it's going to. God's going to feel you like he did me. And when I started talking to her, I started prophesying to her about the call of God and the direction in her life. Because he forgets where we come from, but he knows where he wants to take us to. Oh, I think somebody ought to shout hallelujah. I didn't open my Bible and start preaching. No, I started having a conversation that led to Calvary, that led to Jesus, that led to that. And I'm going to tell you, you've got to learn. What did Jesus teach us in Acts 8? I need, to, I need to let us go. But what did Jesus teach us in Acts 8? Start the conversation. Everybody say, start the conversation. You want to, number two thing, be interested in them. Tell me about your life. What, what do you do? I mean, some people let you know when they're not open. They'll just shut it off right now. I've had a lot of conversations. They give me one-word answers. I don't know what they're saying. Don't talk to me. I'm tired. So I keep talking. I'm just teasing. I don't keep talking. But God orders our steps. What if the pizza delivery guy that comes to your house has been sent from the Lord? Come on. What if the Uber driver... What if? Honey, am I telling the truth that when we were on vacation, we were so stirred about just we were missing and we we'd taken a cruise and was on the drive there and, and it was it was church time. It was all the way to get on the cruise. I had to miss a Sunday. And uh, it was church time. We turned on church time. Brother Nehemiah is singing. Oh, he starts singing that song like he does, those songs. The entire car filled in with the presence of God. I'm crying. She's crying. And I look, and the taxi driver's crying. Because praise always brings the presence of God. Woo. Come on, I'm not talking about preaching, telling people they're going to hell. I'm talking about talking about the goodness of God. And when the Lord comes in, the fruit of the Spirit comes in, and love and joy and peace, and watch that I feel. Oh, it's Jesus. Come on, stand to your feet with me tonight. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. That's what you feel. It's Jesus. Would you clap your hands and praise Him? Would you praise Him? Praise God. What have I done tonight? I've taught you and we've had a spiritual conversation. Haven't we? I've been teaching right here before, talking about the goodness of God and people start. Don't you love preaching that connects with you personally? That's the way it should be, even in a crowd. And when people come in, if preaching the way it should be, people in the building, everybody thinks that the preacher was only preaching to them. How many has ever been there? You better raise your hand because you're going to insult me if you don't. Amen. But true preaching, you feel like, that was for me. Multiple couples walk out of the church and said, we were talking about that last night. Why? Because the word of God is quick. If it can happen in a church building, it can happen at a restaurant table. It can happen at a family event. Spiritual conversation. I, I'm going to challenge every parent in this room that has kids in your house. Learn to have spiritual conversations with your children because they're going to have spiritual conversation with somebody. And it better, better come from you instead of some atheist saying it's not real. 
They're going to have a spiritual conversation. Tell them of the goodness of God. Come on, tell your children. I, I feel something in the room. What is it? It's the power of God. It's the Holy Spirit that's moving upon us. I think we're not just praising for His goodness. If He's ever done anything for you. Oh, the Bible says clap your hands, all you people, and shout with a voice of triumph. Woo! Hallelujah! Somebody shout hallelujah. I want you to take your hands like this. Is everybody with me? Take your hands like this. Do like this. It's called spiritual alignment. It's when God takes somebody that he's reaching, that he will only reach through his body. And he takes the person that he's going to use and puts them in alignment together. What are you going to do at that moment? Will you come to church with me Sunday? Don't get out of the moment by saying, pushing it off to a church service on Sunday. Boy, I need to quit and turn it into a series. I think sometimes our invitation to church is to get out of what God wants to do now. Did you hear me? Well, come to church with me. Son. Hold on, don't leave it up to me when you're the body. Ooh. Sister Wendy, am I okay? We, we, leave it, we, want, we, want the, we want the choir to be singing. We want the pastor to be preaching. Or don't come Sunday because pastor's preaching. Wait till the evangelist comes in, in a week. You better not do that, amen. I'll find out I'm going to be mad. What do we do? What do we do? We have a conversation right now. And I have many times before the conversation starts, I feel the anointing of the Lord come up. I can feel it right there. I feel the Lord. I say, how are you doing? My name's Aaron. What's your name? Hey, Wayne. It's good to meet you. You doing okay? I walked into businesses, and the business owner's standing there. And I go in there, and we're just having a conversation. I say, and all of a sudden, whew, what is that? I want to do the Lord, Brother, Brother Dennis. Brother Hugo, the touch of God. And I look and say, why do I feel the presence of God so strong in here? What is it you wanted God to do for you? And immediately, tears begin to run down that worker or owner's face. They say, I need a miracle. I said, well, this is no accident. We're here together. I'm going to pray for you. God's going to work it out. I said, can I pray for you? And I just pray a simple prayer. Jesus, I pray you'll touch him. They're having some struggles right now. I'm telling you, multiple times, I've had God to visit me in businesses because he's not confined to Jerusalem. All the counselors in the building, I want you to wave your hand. Everybody's a counselor. We've got one, two, three, four. I know there's some more. Five. Five. Listen to me. In the end time revival, there has been more shattered emotions, more things in the, in the where you're at. There has to be room that God is going to open and put in your path for spiritual conversations. And if you'll pray, be sensitive. Brother Fred, Sister Jackie, I saw Sister Miranda, but Jean, Sister Cannon. I believe in those moments you're going to feel a witness of the Spirit. And it's going to be permission to do what nothing else can do. Do you all believe that? My, 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 my. I think somebody ought to commit. I'm going to have a conversation. Well, Pastor, I, I, don't, I can't quote that many verses. You don't have to. You know Jesus. I said, you know Jesus. 
When you start talking about him, he shows up. I just feel something in the room. I feel like we need to reach out and talk to the Lord right now. Say, God, I want to be what you want me to be. I don't want to miss the moment. Nothing else can satisfy the soul. Nothing else can satisfy the soul. I need you tonight, God. I need you tonight, Lord. Jesus' name. need a healing tonight, we'll pray for you. If you want to give your life to the Lord tonight, why don't you come forward, we'll pray for you. If you need a healing, a miracle, family, situation, why don't you come up, we'll pray for you. Jesus is personable. He moves on Wednesdays. He's not confined to Jerusalem Sundays. Amen. I believe God's going to do it. Come on. The Lord's moving right now. Some of you ministers, come and help me. Tonight, I'm going to let Jesus fix my situation. He's personal. Come on, that's it around the room. Some of you that are altar ministers, I want you to come and help pastor. Because the Lord's reaching people right now. You haven't been too far that He can't forgive. He, he knows you're not perfect and He wants to give you a brand new beginning. You just tell Him, Lord, I want to start over. I, I want a new beginning. Come on. You might have messed up last week, but God's saying my mercy is renewed every morning. Come on. I got, I got grace for you. I've got strength for you. Hallelujah. Come on, that's it. The Lord is healing right now. He's moving right now. He's doing a wonderful work even now. Come on, there's a touch of God that's so sweet. Would you, would you press forward in prayer with me right now? Lord, the sweet power of your spirit. Thanks again for listening to the Anchor Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Zanesville area, we invite you to join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at theanchor.church. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.